This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. All right, this is I Hate the Fins. This is our ninth episode under the Finsider podcast radio, radio podcast. I'm not sure which one they use. It's their network, though. We are a part of it. My name is Keith. I'm with my co-host, Zach, as usual. Uh, when we got this show sort of scheduled for tonight, we we're coordinating some things. We totally forgot that it was Pro Bowl announcement Tuesday. So... A little bit of good news before we dive into all the not-so-good stuff that went down for the Dolphins over the weekend. Uh, Xavier Howard is going to the Pro Bowl. And it's weird because on Twitter, there are some people who don't seem too stoked about it. I'm not really sure. I think I think uh, Xavier Howard has been the best corner in the league this year. Um, I think there's some outstanding guys out there. I think that he's been unbelievable there's i mean all homerism aside uh the i guess you'd say a negative note and derwin james is also going to the pro bowl and some people seem to take that as an indication that the dolphins got it wrong and they should have drafted derwin james over minka fitzpatrick i figured that was going to happen i thought derwin was headed to the pro bowl and if he did get to the pro bowl which he did that would elicited uh, a certain reaction from some people in this fan base. So let them stew about that a little bit, and hopefully they'll come out on the other end. I think Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be just fine for the Dolphins. And then some sky's the limit for that guy. Uh, so as you'll notice, I only mentioned Xavier Howard. That's only one Pro Bowl uh, nomination for the Dolphins this year. Uh, a lot of people thought Laramie Tunsil was going to get one. He did not. Uh, so depending on how you feel about that, I think that is a snub. I thought Laramie Tunsil has been outstanding this year, all things considered, really bouncing back from kind of a ho-hum season last year in 2017. So here we are, Xavier Howard is in the Pro Bowl, a lot of guys you thought were going to be in the Pro Bowl, Patrick Mahomes is in there, Phillip Rivers is in there, 
there are a ton of Chargers this year, including Mike Pouncey. Mike Pouncey and his brother are both the centers for the AFC, so that's either pretty cool or that's going to just get ugly for some Dolphins fans too. You're going to say that we let that guy go too soon. I don't know. You uh, make the call. Zach, what do you think? Um, I know that you haven't had a chance to really look at a lot of the guys that went, but we can just kind of run down the list. Uh, I think the quarterbacks are Mahomes. I'm just going off memory here because I just checked the list about 10 minutes before I got on air. So it's Mahomes, Rivers, and Tom Brady. I imagine you don't have any issue with that group. Nope. Oh, man. So Eric Fisher gets in for Kansas City, which is a bit curious, I think. that, that kind of Eric surpri- Fisher. Yeah, I mean. Kinda... <laughs> Enjoy that trip and the <laughs> bonus. Enjoy- Enjoy the the trip, the bonus. I mean, the number one overall pick in 2013. Uh, what a long, strange trip it's been for that guy, but you know, props to him. He's going to the Pro Bowl, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm going through memory here because I don't have my phone in front of me. Uh, five Chicago Bears are going to the Pro Bowl. I thought that that was going to be a stacked list. Tariq Cohen is the return specialist. All the other dudes are your... Your usual suspects for them. Khalil Mack is going to go. Akeem Hicks is going. Uh, Eddie Jackson's in there. And Kyle Fuller's going too. Kyle Fuller, I think, is still tied for the league lead in interceptions. So um, that is definitely something to note as that defense has been a force to be reckoned with. I mentioned uh, the Chargers. I got away from that for a second. Melvin Gordon's going. He's been awesome this year. Keenan Allen is going. So that's a, and as we, Mentioned a little bit ago, Derwin James. So, arguably the AFC's best team right now, depending on where you stand. We mentioned that last week when we were talking about that Chiefs Chargers preview. Chargers ended up pulling that game out. I mean, they they did what you see a lot of college teams did on the road in the old days when there was no such thing as overtime. You were either playing for a tie or the win. They went for the win. And then went for the two point conversion. And they got it with ease. And I don't know if Zach, we talked about this. And I mean, we'll get to plenty of dolphin stuff. I'm just kind of delaying the inevitable. And we have to talk about the what went down in Minnesota because it was just so hideous what we watched on Sunday. But when Philip Rivers went to the huddle for that before that two point conversion last Thursday night, I noticed that he was talking pretty much only to Mike Williams. And at that point, Mike Williams was having a huge game. I mean, Kansas City had. No way to stop him. I mean, obviously, Kansas City, not the league's best defense. In fact, I think they're still technically the worst, or they're at least in the the bottom two or three. And I noticed he was talking only to Mike Williams. I thought that must be some sort of misdirection or something. Like They're just trying to bluff these guys a little bit. Nope. Sure enough, they just threw the ball right to him. I mean, they schemed him open, and he, there was no one within five yards of that dude. So... I, <laughs> Pretty much a blatant just a blatant lack of regard for what Kansas City is putting out on defense, I suppose, especially in the secondary. But L.A. goes out a uh, – I might have called him San Diego in there, and that's a horrible habit of mine, and I'm sorry. But um, it's so hard after – I mean, they were the San Diego Chargers for the first 32 years of my life. So it's been tough to go ahead and remember that. No, they are indeed the Los Angeles Chargers. And it's going to be weird if that team manages to somehow eke out that um, that number one seed because th- that means that you're getting home playoff games in the divisional round in a place that seat. What does that place seat? 25,000 people? Yeah, maybe? StubHub. StubHub. I've been there once for a uh, Galaxy game. and 
and it might seat 30 to 35 um, at max capacity. But realistically, you're probably sitting solid 28. So you think about what NFL stadiums hold typically, and that would be a huge black eye for the NFL in terms of what they would be bringing in off ticket prices. Because I mean, you're what you're you're reducing tickets to about a third of what you get other in other stadiums. About something yeah, like that. I mean, I mean, best case scenario or worst case scenario depends on how you want to look at it. Half because I'm thinking. Worst case scenario, some of these stadiums are 60,000, 70,000. Most of them were closer to 90, um, 90, maybe 100. I don't know. I haven't looked at stadium sizes in a while. Yeah, that used to be something I was really into, and I've gotten away from it. But it just made me think when they were showing Arrowhead the other night, and that place was going nuts. And then you think, like, I mean, that Chargers building, I mean, it would be rocking all 25,000 people in there. And you just think how much, how much the NFL is going to lose in terms of ticket prices and being able to get people in there. And I started to think like, would they try to move it to the Coliseum or something? Is there anything that they might try to do to save face on that? Or are they, are they pretty much dead in the water at that point? And then it's like, well, you get what you get. I think there's, they'd consider moving it, but I don't think if, I don't know if they can contractually do that, you know, since they signed on for StubHub as their home for, you know, two, three years or whatever. Um, obviously, they did that with the mindset of thinking that, you know, we'll just get by here. We probably won't win too many games. And now that they have, they're kind of biting themselves in the butt. But, you know, with the contractual obligations, they'd probably have to buy themselves out of whatever they're in with uh, StubHub, <laughs> you know, start a contract with the Coliseum for what? Two, three games, best case scenario. And then go yeah, back to StubHub. Yeah, that's insane. That yeah. that'd be absolute I mean, insanity. That, that's fantasy land, but that's something that I, I never put it past the NFL when it comes to things like this, because as you mentioned, this was extremely short sighted on on the part of a few, and that thinking that the Chargers were just kind of kind of tread water out there while they were waiting for that that enormous place to be built out in Inglewood. So at that point, I don't know, but I mean, if so, if Things remain the way they are. The Chargers are a five seed anyway, which is messed up given their record. But I mean, tied with Kansas City. Um, but I think Kansas City has fewer divisional losses. I think Kansas City's only divisional loss was to LA. While I think LA lost to Kansas City and then they had that bizarre loss to Denver yeah. about a month ago. So anyway. Well, I mean, this is the show is technically I hate, the, I hate the Finns and we don't want to get away from it too much. So, all right. <clears throat> Sunday, uh, you've got the Dolphins who are tied for that six wild card spot just under the uh, the Indianapolis Colts. You got, you got other teams in there in the mix, Denver, Baltimore, uh, even Cleveland's nipping at the heels a little bit. So the, the Dolphins go on the road to the that bird killer indoor facility that they have up in Minnesota where what, what was that thing like they they estimate that millions of birds fly into that thing every year because it's all glass and even though Minnesota gets totally rocked by Seattle on Monday night or the, the previous Monday and by rocked I mean just didn't even show up I mean not that Seattle 
took it to him on offense, but Minnesota just looked like they weren't even really interested in being a part of that game. Leave it to the Dolphins to go on the road and help Minnesota get well. Minnesota just runs and throws all over them. Ends up 41-17. Started out 21-0. And then fortunately, the Dolphins were able to get back in the game. So, I mean, if you're looking for positives here, and I'll ask for some thoughts from you in terms of can you get anything out of this that you go forward and think like, oh, that was good. The only thing I can I saw in this game where I was like, I like that. Outside of the pick six, which is pretty sweet, and just a completely inexplicable move on Kirk Cousins' part. Um, so when I was watching um, Kalen Bellage run that touchdown, he's got some Eddie Eddie George to him, no? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's tough with Bellage because um, he came out of a, a a weird spread offense out of Arizona State, and I think the only thing people really know about him or have known about him was that one seven touchdown game where, you know, I think yeah. at least four of the seven were wildcat plays, which we got to see a little of um, again, which was fun. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not like sold that Balazs is going to be like an every down ball carrier, like workhorse kind of guy from one game. Um, Cause I mean, what he had the, what was that? A 75 yard run. So, yeah, it was that was a long so, scamper. So had. essentially, outside of that one big run, he ran for another forty yards on eleven more carries, which isn't bad. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't. I'm not going to crown him and say that he's going to be a guy yet. Um, so, but I, I think no, he played nice, well. It's a nice yeah. change of pace in terms of what he's doing. Yeah, I like the dynamic in there, and I and I hope they're able to further explore. Yeah, that. and I think. I think the nice thing about Balaj is that he's kind of the best of both worlds between what Frank Gore gives you in that little bit of a, a power stability kind of back, um, while at the same time he can do some of those similar Kenyon Drake things where he can catch spot of the backfield and do some more of that. Um, you know, I, I think the bigger thing with the running backs that's been really annoying is the whole like Kenyon Drake doesn't get the ball. Um that everybody talks about where like Kenyon Drake's been beat up a lot. How can you expect to give the guy the ball 20 times a game when, you know, he's got a calf that's bothering him or something else, Um, you know, and the way people sometimes talk about, you know, Oh, this guy didn't get enough carries out of all the running backs on the team. You know, they're going to have to run a wishbone offense where one of the running backs is the quarterback and they run 60 plays a game. Cause that that's the only way that Twitter is going to be happy that everybody got enough carries. Yeah. You think he's uh, at all interested in moving on or I've, I've read from quite a few credible sources. Um, One of them is that, um, what is their name? They follow us. I should know that what three yards per carry, whatever that something five network. Yep. Those dudes, they're they're really smart. There's a couple of them in there. And they mentioned one of them was arguing against some point and just saying, like, no, Kenyon Drake wants to be in Miami. So that yeah, was good yeah. enough for me. If he says it, I, I'm, I'm sorry I can't give proper credit to the, the person who said that. Um, my apologies there. Um, if I can see it, I'll bring it up. But yeah. Um, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, think I, I don't know. I think with Drake, too, I think Drake saw what happened to Jay Jais and the realization of, like, look, like, I know what my role is here. I'm going to score touchdowns. I'm going to have 
a key role in the offense. I may not be an every down back, but like look at Jay. He went to Philadelphia. Yeah, he luckily hopped on the right team at the right time and won a Super Bowl, but he's gotten hurt and he's just going to be a fill-in-the-blank kind of back. I don't think he's ever going to be a lead ball carrier like he was that year and a half in Miami. So, I mean, we'll just go to the obvious topic here. We, You and I have batted this around a bit this week. Is there any way that Matt Burke is back, back next year, or does that just need I to I think he finishes out the year. Um, the only thing that I will ding Adam Gase on um, every now and then is that he is, like, loyal to a fault. Um, yeah. To or a like, fault. If you are a good guy in his locker room, on his staff, you know, part of his team or whatever, and you do what you need to do, but things aren't coming up the way they should to be productive. I think a lot of the times Adam Gase will still ride or die with you until it's like to a critical point. And I think that's an issue. But then again, with Matt Burke, like it was up and down for the first eight weeks. And then it's still been kind of up or down, but the ups have been really up and the downs have been really down in the past couple of weeks. So what do you do at week 15 of the season? Who else is on the team that could take over and turn things around? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, it's a lost cause right now. I mean, that's why I asked if he's going to be back next year because I, I can't imagine a situation where Adam Gase greases him in season. Yeah. No, I, I think you're so, right. I don't know. <clears throat> uh, but countless times this year, this defense has just been caught with its pants down. So I'm... It's it's easy to blame the coaching staff, and I mean, oftentimes you can say like, well, yeah, there. I mean, there's culpability across the board. There's certainly a lot of it to go around when you're talking about the coaches. You can find a lot of fault with Adam Gaze, and you just mentioned. I think the biggest fault with him right now is that I mean, it's it's hard, it's tough to say someone's too loyal, but I do think there's a there's a point where he struggles to just to just cut the tie. When it, when it needs to happen. And, and Matt Burke is a classic example of it. I don't, I can count on one hand how many times I've seen this defense look prepared this year. I don't know that I've seen them look prepared since September. And even that would be a bit of a reach. So, yeah, and I mean, I guess, and the, you got to remember too is, is that like, oh God. And while the new fad for hiring coaches are these like young offensive minded guys, I mean, yeah, a lot Gurus. of these young guys, even going back to when McDaniels was that guy um, and he went to Denver, like a lot of them are still really young and people don't remember that and realize that, I think, sometimes. And I think McVeigh's credit in LA, just as much as it is his, is also Wade Phillips because Wade Phillips has been around the block mm-hmm. 40 times at this point. So. While you have a young, fun offensive coach, you've got a steady, experienced guy in Wade Phillips on the defensive side. They have good pieces on both sides of the ball, but Wade can, you know, during the week get in uh, McVay's ear and be like, hey, look, like you did this. In my experience, it may be better to go about it this way next time, you know? And, and McVay's had his lumps too. It hasn't all been perfect. Um, but I, I think people have to remember no, some of these guys think, are still really young. I think uh, this current two-game losing streak they've got is, I'd say, that would 
would you agree that this is probably the the biggest adversity that he's faced in season as a coach? Because I mean, that offense has been humming since he since yeah, he showed and up. Yeah, I mean, like being a Dolphins fan, I'd kill for that type of adversity. But um, I definitely get what you're saying there. Of course, of course. Yeah, well, I think there's certain things with that team that uh, I think that. So they go to Soldier Field that Sunday night and they struggle. They only score six points when I, they averaged, was it 30 plus? And then they put up only 200 and some yards of offense when they averaged 440, I want to say was the number. And there's just been certain things that have been missing from those guys since. And mind you, it was cold that night down by the lake in, in Chicago, but there was also no wind. And you can probably count on one hand how many times you're going to get no wind down by the lake on any day in December or January at Soldier Field. It is always windy there. That's why it's so hard to play quarterback there. We were talking about that last week, I think. So there wasn't a lot of wind. So I'm not ready to just say that they were just beaten down by the weather in that game. I think that there's certain things that they definitely need to button up. And they're going to have to because, I mean, they lose unless Chicago loses one of the next two. And, I mean, they could, I mean, depending on what happens. This week we'll decide it, of course, because... um. It's either they're they're taken because they, Chicago I think finishes their season in Minnesota, and um, they've got San Francisco this week. They're out in Santa Clara, so the the Bears will at that point make a judgment call and say like, are we going to compete and think we can get that two seed? Because LA's the rest of LA schedule is kind of I don't want to call it a cakewalk because I think they've I think they've also got the I know they got the Cardinals. I think they also have the Forty ers I think that's at the Coliseum, so. I mean, we'll see. Chicago likely locked into that three seed anyway, but I mean, LA's got to button some stuff up here. I mean, they're they're likely going to get a buy unless they absolutely slide off here. Which, I mean, I thought that they were just going to run rings around Philadelphia last Sunday night. Philadelphia and Nick Foles, none other than Nick Foles, just came out and just punched them right in the mouth. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, football's and, and weird again. I I think there's growing pains for all young coaches. Um, I think it's who you have around them. And I think at this point, the best thing that Gase could do next year to add to his staff is an experienced defensive coordinator. Not, not, not a Vance Joseph that is somebody that he knows that's a younger guy on a team that he brings in. Not, not a Matt Burke, who's a younger guy that was under Vance Joseph that showed promise. You know, while I... I'm the first person, even in the work that I do on a day-to-day basis, to vouch for young people with energy and passion. Um, there are certain points where you need veterans to get the job done. So, who would be your guy if you're if you're heading up that search in the uh, off season? I mean, of course, assuming that they do move on from Matt Burke, is there a guy for you? To be 100 percent honest, um, this is not something that I I've dug into. Um, I could do some, some yeah, some searching you. while we move along here, but uh, maybe we circle back to this at some point. Because I know that some people are going to want to pull. I mean, there's some bright young minds that you've got at the college level, or guy. I mean, maybe you're able to get somebody's linebackers coach or a secondary's coach. I mean, that's happened. Two. I mean, I don't know. There's a couple of guys out there. Uh, I will tell you. The one I've I've gotten this emailed to me a couple of times, and I cannot for the life of me understand why. I think this would be ridiculous. 
a lot of people are like, well, what about Vic Fangio still? And it's like Vic Fangio has Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Eddie Jackson and Roquan Smith and Leonard Floyd. And, you know, he's got Fuller and Amukamara right now. He's got Adrian Amos. I mean, he just has an embarrassment of riches on that defense. Like, why would he, unless he's taking a head coaching gig, and I don't know, you mentioned the trend of these these young guru offensive play callers getting all the looks now. People are talking about, like, Lincoln Riley. We were talking about on the phone earlier, we were mentioning uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Just all these, like, really bright offensive minds, like these younger dudes. And that's like the the league trend well, I mean, right now. About, Everyone wants their Sean McVay, you know. Reuniting so, this this will um, be an ugly thing that people will probably come back and and kill me for. But if the Jets move on from Todd, is Todd somebody that would be considered? Yes, I was actually just about to mention Todd. And the thing about here's the thing though. Is he going to try to? I mean, run I don't know because like he was scheme, he was rocking and rolling pretty well in Miami when he was around, um, and they've always run that forefront. So um, he he could maybe, but I mean that's the same thing with. Hmm. They were in a three. They were in a were three they? four when when Todd was there. I thought they were still that three four scheme. They, I thought they didn't bump over to the... that until. I yeah, thought that might um, have been the last year. Philbin and uh, Philbin and Kevin Coyle were the ones who who flipped it to a four three because I thought that wasn't solely I was yeah, the was the it zero. It might have been that far back at this point. And, I didn't um, think it was that long ago. And then oh yeah oh uh, I forgot about um, Todd's stop and in, Jared Odrick. Uh, Arizona. That's what I was forgetting. Yeah, that's cool. Um. Yeah, because I, so, oh man, I just, so many thoughts now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, and I want, I want to say there were a three, three, four scheme at that point, because that was like when early on they, you were running Wake and Porter, and then, um, that insanely overrated inside linebacker core they had. Outside, I still love Channing Crowder. I mean, that guy was a player, but, um, yeah, so I don't know. The reason I asked that is because I feel like, uh, Robert Quinn is almost yep. like you're doing the same thing to him that happened out in LA when Wade Phillips showed up and, and flip that to a even though Wade Phillips is 3-4 scheme it's not really a pure 3-4 it's a one gap scheme still I mean you're which is why like I mean you're still able to see Aaron Donald just blasting with quickness and power right through the line I mean you're the name of the game there is still penetrating that's still what you're looking to do I mean you're not as concerned with you know, planet theory guys, dudes who are two gap players down at the out at the, um, in the trenches. So, um, definitely an emphasis on quickness over size in that scheme. Strength obviously so important, but just something to to consider. Because I was thinking about yeah, Todd I earlier mean, this a, week. A I was like, I don't think the Jets are going to decide to go another um, young so. kind of not so proven guy that's gotten some some love. Um, Oh, God, why can I not remember his name? Um, he is the defensive backs coach for the Cowboys right now. Um, is it? It's uh, Richard. Um, Chris Richard. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. That's, yeah, Chris Richard. So with the Seattle stop and then. Because he was in Seattle how, before. Uh, Dallas has kind yeah. of turned it around on defense. Um, he's a guy that you might want to keep uh, an ear out for, too. 
he's done good things with that that defense this year. I do like their corners in Dallas. I'm not well, a big fan I mean, of. I, I mean, their linebackers have been outstanding, and I love Jalen Smith. Really big fan of him. The secondary is what they want it to be in Miami right now. Look at what they did with uh, Byron Jones. You know, at this point, they've they've flipped him back and forth from safety to corner to corner to safety to whatever. Um, and he's finally found some some long-term success. So, you know, with Minka potentially being the the cornerstone piece on the defense there now, um, he's a guy that they could take a long, hard look at just because of the similarities um, in the style of play from Seattle and Dallas and what they've done with Byron Jones, who's kind of similar to Minka. And he's got those two young corners, too. He's got Jordan Lewis, and he's got uh, Chidobe Awuja in there as well. So, I don't know. Mm, I like Actually, I love that that suggestion. And, I mean, if, if the decision yeah, were I up mean, to me, that might yeah, be where I go. Yeah, I definitely would not be opposed to that. But, again, so, it'd be great to have somebody with some veteran there. experience. Um, but I will say, Gase does get a lot of that from Darren Rizzi, too. Um, Darren Rizzi is the one special teams coach at this point that if a special teams coach got hired as a head coach again, I think it'd be him. Yeah. There's only a yeah. couple of guys in the league I can think of special teams guys who uh Tobe is the other dude. He's been he's been interviewed a couple of times. I mean he he was the the guy behind the um yep. or who was the special teams coach in Chicago and it was Devin Hester mania, so, um yeah and there's it's funny because you think like oh I don't know what options are out there and then you start to think about it and then you're like oh well then what about this guy and what about that guy and this would work so we'll we'll definitely spend some time over the next few months I mean yeah, and I mean, watch all this be moved it's and not one of those years where uh, like eh, never mind um. There's like head coaches that are on the line of getting fired that makes sense to bring in either. You know, there's not like a, a, a Jack Del Rio kind of guy um, or like when um, what's his name got fired from the Jags and went out to San Diego. Um, God, I'm so bad. Bradley. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not one of those years. Yeah. Gus Bradley. Oh, yeah. Like. So I love him, as far as I can think of, there's not my any teams in the that are right really now. struggling this year that are going to fire a head coach that sound really good. Um, I think the only person that might be in that boat is if the Browns go with a different head coach going into next year and they don't do Greg Williams, but I don't, I don't want Greg Williams on my team. So. Greg Williams looks like he's wearing a disguise on his face every time they show him. It could be like it's almost like you think he has a mustache, but he he might not. He always has like that the weird glasses on, and it's almost like that. <laughs> he just I don't know. It's he's got a dubious look to him. I think whenever they show Greg Williams, he just looks like he's up to no good. And then I'm not even talking about all of the the bounty gate mess and all all of that. Yeah, I mean, the guy is. The one thing I'll give him as a defensive coach, he is super aggressive. So, I mean, I mean, the one thing you think about Miami's defense is like super aggressive would be kind of nice at this point. It just feels like all they do more often than not, I just watch them and it seems like they're always on their heels. It's a very reactionary defense, I think. 
So, I don't know. Uh, we could uh, go ahead and complain about that all day, and we we might end up doing that, but we want to segue this a little bit. So, <clears throat> we're not sure if Dwayne Haskins is going to declare. We don't know what Justin Herbert's going to do. Uh, Drew Locke will be in there. Will Greer will be in there. Uh, so, we discussed this earlier in that what if the Dolphins decide that 2019 is not the year for a quarterback for them? And I can hear all the, you know, anyone who listens to this is probably groaning at this point because, I mean, this is what happened last year. People thought that was going to be the Dolphins taking a quarterback. All four of those guys are off the board before Miami picks. And then obviously the Dolphins did not take Lamar Jackson. <clears throat> so suppose they think that 2019 is a year to do other <laughs> things. And Zach, I'll put, I'll go ahead and I'm going to replace. <laughs> we're definitely my not worse. We're, we're immediately better. I can say that. <laughs> and I, no, no, no. And I have a feeling you're going to expense less food. Cause it sounds like that's something he does. So I'm putting the, the franchise's uh, fate in your hands, and I'm going to go ahead. You, you already have your big board out there for now, but suppose the Dolphins finish with, let's give them the, yeah, let's give them the 15th the, pick. the worst part about this time of year is when people kind of do right draft in the neighborhood. orders, I think like where are they SI right now? 16? and ESPN, and one, one person has them at 17, one person has them at 16, another person has them tied for like 14th, for sure. so you never know where they're actually picking. So you and I agree that the front seven is just an absolute <laughs> hole for the Dolphins right now. So if you're, if, yeah, if you're sitting, like I said, we'll just, we'll go ahead and we'll ballpark it. We'll just say 15 for this, for the hell of it. Can you explain to the people listening, like your perfect defensive draft in that you think I can bring this guy on? It's realistic that he's available at that spot. We're obviously not going to take Nick Bosa there. But it's realistic this dude's going to be available. And yeah, so this I mean, turns I think the, around the names people a lot know of the what you watched Oliver, last Nick Sunday. Bosa, Josh Allen, um, probably Quinton Williams if he comes out, Devin White. Um, I'd say at least Greedy Williams or DeAndre Baker. Um, I'm going to say that all those guys are a safe bet to be gone at that point. And if there's no hustle and bustle for quarterbacks, um, you're probably looking at a few more names. Um, I'm thinking probably Christian Wilkins, um, another defensive tackle of choice, which could be any of five or six guys. Um, and then you'll probably see an offensive lineman like um, Jonah Williams or Dalton Risner go in there somewhere. Um, somebody may decide to snag a receiver. So you're kind of looking at the that middle of the first round um, group of defensive linemen and linebackers and stuff, um, which in a different year, you know, these are guys that are potentially fringe top 10 picks. Um, Cause you might have some guys in there. Like I, I think Dexter Lawrence will be around at that point. Um, it's kind of mixed opinions on him right now. Cause we had this talk earlier um, about, while he is more athletic than your traditional two down, you know, zero one shade technique kind of defensive tackle, um, people just don't 
use them the way they used to anymore because there's not enough base 4-3-3-4 packages that you're deploying against teams anymore. Um, you know, you can go back to last year and um, the Bucks took... Oh my God, I'm so bad at names when it comes to this point of the night. Um, dude from Washington, Vita Vea. Um, they took him, what, 10, 11, 12, something like that in the, t- in, in the early teens, right? Yeah, yeah. they traded back um, with, uh, I'm trying to think who, yeah, I think they got him, it was like what, four, nah, somewhere, no, it wasn't the 14th pick because that was, I don't know, but it's in that range. It was in, it's in, it was the, in the teens, it's in, yeah. It's in the teens. So I think you'll see a similar spot for Dexter Lawrence this year. So he'll be an option. Um, I think the pick that any team that needs a defensive lineman and has fans that aren't super into college football, you're going to be sitting there and a guy like Rashawn Gary is going to be on the board where everyone in the media um, – is going to have Rashawn Gary as a top 10 pick because of his potential. Um, But Rashawn Gary just did not do anything this year. Granted, most teams doubled him, um, but he reminds me of a beefier version of uh, Quentin Copel's where you have that, that motor question and you don't know if it's just ever going to turn on. Um, so, I mean, you could consider him there, but I think there's better guys to pick. Um, I think the pick that, based on media boards and general consensus, would make the most sense for the Dolphins is Jeffrey Simmons, the the defensive tackle out of uh, Mississippi State. He's a dude that causes a lot of chaos in backfields, but I will not put him on my board because he has a DV issue. Um, we've talked about that. I love Jeffrey Simmons' game, but I don't care wh- how good you are. The second you have a domestic violence issue, you're done on my board. Um, yeah. So with all that said, at the end of the day, if I have to make a pick there um, at 15 and a lot of those top-tier defensive guys are gone, I think there's going to be a hard look at potentially a corner, um, even though people may not like that after taking Minka um, and how X just went to a Pro Bowl, but you've seen how badly they've been beaten down as uh, not having a second corner um, or when X has been out, not having any options almost at all um, to match up with guys. So, you know, Byron Murphy and DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams will get some look there. But the pick I'm going to make probably now until draft time comes around Zach Allen out of Boston College. He we've we've talked a lot about him. I think we've even talked on the show about him. Um, but he is a bigger, more upside version of William Hayes. And William Hayes has done nothing but absolutely great work for the Dolphins since they brought him over from LA. So he's a guy that'll set the edge. Um, you know, I do not believe in drafting defensive ends that can't set the edge. Charles Harris. Um <laughs> and so he's a dude that can set the edge first and second down he'll play in your base run stopping package and then you can actually run a nascar package like they've wanted to um with whoever your third down rushing ends at that point you can put charles harris in and just let him go after the pass rusher as an end um move zach allen inside robert quinn on the other side and then 
defensive tackle or end of choice next one, probably Godshaw, um, or if they keep Akeem Spence, uh, Akeem Spence. So I think for I, I go with the versatility pick again because it it did us well this year. Do you double down on defense in round two, or do you maybe oh. look at? Some of those Wisconsin offensive linemen are probably going to be floating around at that point too. Yeah, I think I think offensive line is going to look really good. Um, I think depending on how the board falls, um, if it falls in a way that feels beneficial and after the research that the team's done, if it falls in a situation where there is a potential quarterback that they like, I think – Round two is a respectable place to take a quarterback. Um, you know, I, I keep saying if if Will Greer is there in the second round, I, I would trade my soul because I think Will Greer has the potential to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a superstar, um, but I think if you take Will Greer in the second round, worst case scenario, you have a Matt Moore for a decade, um, which – as you can see this year, it really helps to have a backup QB. Otherwise, yes. you're you're running with a guy that essentially was drafted because he was six eight. Um, He's six eight. Yeah, I mean, I you know I love my Brock Osweiler jokes. Um, I have a really sunburnt uh, old photo of Brock Osweiler that a friend got me for Christmas one year um, because I just loved how six eight he was. Um, but so, but so I think priority number one comes second round, um, will probably be, is there a quarterback that we liked still available? Um, if that's not the case, I think you either double down on defense, um, or like you said, hopefully some of those Wisconsin guys are around, um, another guy that has kind of gone up and down this year um is uh ellington jenkins from mississippi state their center um he reminds me a lot of james daniel out of uh iowa last year oh man um and he has played really well in chicago so i think he's a guy that they could take a look at um and then there's going to be some guys that are tackles that may be better as guards in that, that realm. Um, one guy that I can think of is Mitch Hyatt from Clemson. Um, he's played really well at tackle, but he reminds me a lot of Jack Conklin, um, where he probably projects more to a really good right tackle or guard. Um, and then I think the really interesting offensive lineman that, that could throw a wrench in a lot of things, depending on how people see him post injuries, is uh, Trey Adams from Washington. I think Yeah, Washington. I think there's a chance that he may I, I don't know if he can get a 6-year uh redshirt medical kind of eligibility season. Um but if he goes into the draft, he's a dude at one point that people were talking like Jake Long status, like he's going to go number 1 like book it. Um so you know, you'll kind of see there um I think there's a lot of options in the second round this year. It's a really deep quality draft. I think the first two days are going to be potential starters all over the board. Um, you know, and then if if the Dolphins don't go quarterback first, second, even third round this year, um, 
there's some back end guys that I think they could potentially bring in, um, like Gardner Minshew, that's done a great job in Washington State this year. Um, I'd have no problem with taking the Mississippi mustache in the fourth. Um, but, you know, so I, I think people should not get all upset about no quarterback this year because I think that means 2020 they have to take a quarterback. And I would rather give up the farm for the potential quarterbacks in 2020 than anyone in this class. That's a good point. Uh, there's potential for four of the five starters on Wisconsin's line to come out, right? I think the only guy who's is Dietzman I, out. I, think, I feel like he's, he's I, the one who might stay. Well, Dietzman might stay, but he's eligible, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's why I'm... So I'm trying to think, like, I expect Dieter... Uh, Baidez and Edwards, and then I think Benchwall too. Well, I think I, I think Benchwall, um, Edwards are kind of my definitive. I think they'll go. Um, I don't. I think if I think where um, you're gonna have to help me with names here. Guy that plays left tackle that we were just saying is eligible. Dietzman. Dietzman. I think what Dietzman his declaration hinges on is Baidez and if he comes out that's that whole line like why are you going to stay on the ship alone Um, especially after the downish year that Wisconsin had because they're not just going to lose them Um, they're going to lose TJ Edwards who has played pretty well Um, they're going to lose there's somebody else on that defense that I was thinking of I can't remember, but, but I mean, there's, there's enough on that team that if everybody starts leaving, you could see that whole Wisconsin offensive line walk out this year. I mean, they're always going to replenish it. Yeah. I, mean, I would draft Wisconsin linemen all the time. If I, if I could, I can think of only one class they had that was a, a clunker. Yeah. And I mean, some of it was just, I mean, you know, which one I'm talking about. It was yep. uh, when it was Gabe Karimi John Moffitt. I loved Gabe Kareem. I'm not even going to lie. Gabe. So here's the thing. And I think I've talked about this on before. Stop, on here before. Stop me if you've heard this one before. But so the, the Bears drafted Kareem first round 2011. And I was a big fan of his game at Washington. I mean, he was he was what, six, seven. And he was just a bull. Yeah. Just an absolute bull for that team. So he comes out. He he plays for the Bears. His first game, I want to say they opened the season against the Atlanta Falcons at Soldier Field. And so he's he's going up against John Abraham. And he did a really good job against John Abraham, who was an absolute just man-child beast at that point. Just not really the, the first guy you want to see when you're a rookie tackle. So the second game of the year, they go down to New Orleans, I'm pretty sure. And he sublimates his kneecap. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's done for the year. And I feel like at that point, <clears throat> Chicago's off- offensive line coach, I believe, was Mike Tice. And then I think they bumped him to offensive coordinator. So at that point, he's not getting the, the same interaction with Mike Tice when he comes back from injury. Or maybe it was just the injury. I'm not sure. But he never really, he was just a shell of himself when he came back. And then, I mean, he commenced all the jokes. I mean, he was... I remember that one Monday night game in 2012 when they were they went out to San Francisco and he was just absolutely abused. I mean, like you think about it, I mean, San Francisco was an was an absolute wrecking crew that year. They went to the 
they went to the Super Bowl in the 2012 season. So can't really hold that against him. But I mean, just not what you expected from him. And so he was their left tackle. Moffitt was the guard. And then Peter Kahn's was the the ta- um, the center. The funny thing is, I think the right tackle was Ricky Wagner. Yeah. And if that's the case, then Ricky Wagner is the, the best. He's the uh, the lone survivor there. You know, he's the guy who because Peter Kahn's was was looked at as like a quality center prospect. Uh, Moffitt Moffitt had some some weird issues come up. Um. So I don't know, but most of the, when you look at Wisconsin's offensive linemen, I mean, you're talking about just absolute dominance. And the funny thing is they do a really good job of finding dudes who are obviously enormous, but still with an element of mobility in the mix. I mean, like, and you've seen that with like some of the guys who have come out in, in recent years, even the best right tackle in the league right now for my money is Ryan Ramchick. Yeah, yeah. Was so, was Kevin Zeitler on that? Yeah. When did Kevin Zeitler come out? Because he was good too. He twenty tw- yeah he was twenty he was twenty twelve so he was right after him he was their right guard I think so was, yeah so Zeitler and uh, Ricky Wagner so the right side of the line is actually what what saved them yeah think about it. yeah but um the left side of the line of that class was just a stinker. And while, while I'm thinking of it, I have to put this on on document now before um it doesn't exist. Miles Gaskin is going to be 110% like the the guy that comes out gets drafted in like the third or fourth round this year and then like blows blows people's minds. Um cuz it was the same thing with Philip Lindsay. I, I didn't understand how nobody cared about Philip Lindsay when he had an amazing career at Colorado and then he comes into the league and just does everything a good running back needs to do and people have like lost their minds. He's the first rookie to go undrafted and make a Pro Bowl in his rookie season, I think, in the history of the league. Um, but, like, when good players are good, draft them because they're going to be good. It, it's very simple logic. Yep. I need to look, I want to look up all these Wisconsin off- offensive linemen because the, the guy with the, the marquee name out there is Dieter. And, by the way, would you consider taking Miles Gaskin if you're the Dolphins? I think the the house is too full at this point. I think I think if you're going to play the perpetual Miami running back game, um, where this will be Kenyon Drake's last year in 2019 before you move on to cheaper pastures, um, then yeah, because um, I think I think he gives you a lot of the same stuff that you're seeing out of Wendell Smallwood in Philadelphia. Um, you know, that, that kind of undersized back that can catch the ball out of the backfield, that everybody has that as a perception of him. But then you go back and watch him run between the tackles. And while he does play in the Pac-12 and he's not playing, you know, Big Ten defenses or SEC defenses, like he runs the ball hard up the middle. So if if they're in that perpetual Dolphins, like every two and a half years going to a new running back, then, you know, if he's in the third or fourth round and do you think he's the best player and you can't get something better to fill a need, then heck yeah. Um, I think Miles Ga- Gaston is awesome. I'm just going through right. So Dietzen is um junior. Dieter's a senior. I knew that. <clears throat> There's some guys, in, some of these dudes are so intrigued. This is one of the more intriguing uh, Wisconsin offensive line classes I can recall. So I wish I could just 
draft all. I of mean, them. you technically probably could get two out of the three if you really wanted to make that investment. Yeah, right. Just go ahead and just throw all of our chips in and just do the Mike Dicka and then go golfing for the rest of the. Uh, I mean, like the other than Dalton Risner, all these other offensive tackles, and I have this offensive tackle conversation about once every two and a half weeks when my my buddy switches from. You know, uh, my Jets buddy switches from I want an edge rusher to I want an offensive tackle so my my rookie quarterback doesn't die. Um, he switches back and forth, and I I don't love any of these guys. Like um, Taylor is the hot name right now out of Florida. Um, Greg Little was the big name going into the season. Jonah Williams has kind of been the steady Eddie name that's just kind of persisted because he's on Alabama. Um, and then it's the Wisconsin guys and. Uh, um, Dalton Risner, who Dalton Risner is awesome, but I think he's an inside guy um, for the long term. Um, the one guy that people really liked and then forgot about really quickly too was uh, Andre Dillard, who plays for Washington State. He had a nice year, um, but I think he's kind of like Orlando Brown was last year, where you have some really great quarterback play behind him, and while he's a good player. Um, I think the ability to get the ball out quickly kind of highlights his ability. He doesn't – Dillard never really has to deep set in Washington State's offense. So, you know, he'll have a little bit of a, a learning curve there. Yeah. <clears throat> Edwards is a junior, and uh, Baidez is um, – looks, like he, he looks like he's a sophomore. So, I'm not sure. But – I knew one of them was a guy where who's not who's expected to stay put. I couldn't remember which one it was. I think it's him. I think it's Baidez. Baidez so, isn't a redshirt sophomore. I thought he was a redshirt sophomore and he was technically eligible. He might be. What I'm looking at just lists him as a sophomore. I'm not seeing any medical redshirt there, but that doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> it's weird to do our research on the air, but this is what's <laughs> happening right now. So sometimes it's just what you got to do. So um, I don't know. I. I like it. I th- I think that's a compelling and convincing argument if you're looking to draft defense and rabbit because I don't know how you can be happy with the front seven after what went down in Minnesota on Sunday. That was just absolutely disgraceful. And it just it just and sucks though some- because like there's some good pieces in there. I just don't think I just don't think they're playing the right way to get the best out of them. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's promising pieces in there. Like, I love Robert Quinn, even though, I mean, you, you mentioned when we were on the phone earlier when we were, we were talking up this whole show that, I mean, the QB pressures he's put up have been an uh, impressive group. I mean, he's not finishing in terms of sacks, but he's definitely getting there. Uh, but, I mean, you look at I the interior definitely needs a boost. I mean, obviously depleted due to injury, yeah, I so say, I mean, you're not really seeing The interior is half dead at this point, too. Yeah, it's an infirmary. And then I, I still like Jerome Baker. Jerome Baker's been uh, awesome. And I, yeah, and I have high hopes for Raekwon. I think that, I mean, as he continues to work his way back, um, you know, his really, I mean, even though he's in his second season, he's in his first season because of the injury. So, but I mean... The the sick joke is that the secondary is where where this defense is really set up, and that's it's been the complete opposite of what we've seen from previous Dolphins eras. In that they were they did some really good things in the front seven, and their secondary was just absolute trash. Outside of obviously Madison and Sertan, 
<clears throat> and Brock Marion back there. <laughs> so you can't you can't mess with that. That's the that's the goat in terms of of Dolphins secondary. So who who was the dude? Why can I not remember his name? Corner that they took out of Tennessee in the first round years ago. Jason Allen. Jason Allen. <laughs> I remember. Oh, I, oh, I don't even remember where I was. I was at some sort of generic food place, like a Fuddruckers or something. And like this is when I was just getting into the draft. And the Dolphins were up, and I'm sitting there, and like they call his name, and I didn't really know too much draft stuff at that point. So I did a little research on him, and I was like, I don't think this guy's very good. I wonder why they picked him. And then it turned out that he wasn't very good. <laughs> I had a problem with uh, when they were showing the bad on Jason Allen's tape yeah. at Tennessee. There was one where he got absolutely bulldozed by Ronnie Brown. Uh, and I was just like, that's, I was like, that's awkward. We just drafted that guy <laughs> so he can join the dude who absolutely wrecked him. And then, I mean, he had a, I think he dislocated his hip at Tennessee. I think that's something that, that kept him out his last year. Um, with the volunteers, so I don't know. I wasn't a. He was an impressive guy at the combine, but I mean, he never really had a position. People, people came out. And he's like, we don't know. If, whereas with Minka Fitzpatrick, you can, you know, he can play all positions. It's just a matter of where he's. You're setting him up the best for success. Jason Allen was like, we don't know where he goes. Is he a safety? Is he corner? I don't know. That was in the the two thousands. They had some nuts not awesome picks in terms of the secondary Jamar Fletcher definitely up there. That was a, that was a bad, bad pick, especially with Drew Brees just staring at him in the face (laughs) at the end of the, at the end of the first round. And then the weird thing is the dolphins in that, like the late nineties and early two thousands, when they had first round picks, they typically would make a, a really crummy first round pick and then in the second round just and sometimes the third round just strike absolute gold and you know you draft your teal green obviously when you tear your acl and your quadriceps and everything in your knee on the first day of practice i mean that's just incredibly horrible luck but in the second round in that draft they take sam madison and in the third round they got jason taylor and then i remember there was a so, stretch where the dolphins would trade down all the time there was like I don't remember the years. One of the years was the uh, the Jared Odrick year. I will never forget the Jared Odrick year, where they were just in this like trade yeah. down mode for like two or three years. That every time they got up, they just traded down in the first round. And I don't know what they were stockpiling picks for because it didn't help, obviously. Um, but no. I will never forget the Jared Odrick year because there were dudes like Earl Thomas and JPP, and like that's exactly what the Dolphins needed. Um, and they had a shot at all those guys first, and then they traded down. And then they were back on the board again, and there were still some guys that were worthwhile. And then they traded down with the Chargers or whatever again to the back back end of the first round. And this is when me and my Jets buddy again were just really getting into the draft. And of course, we're at that age where we're like teenagers, so we're like giving each other shit about like trading down. And so they traded all the way down, and the Dolphins are up, and they picked Jared Odrick, and he just like laughed at me and tortured me until the Jets came up and then picked um Wilson out of uh Boise. And and so then I was yeah. just like Kyle Yeah, Wilson. Kyle Wilson. And so then he was all sad and disappointed. And uh you you can understand why uh, we've been long term football friends because it's just disappointment everywhere. Oh man, you think about all the players who were staring at them in the <sighs> face when they had because they had what the the twelfth or thirteenth pick yep. in that draft. 
one of the two. Yeah, and they had yeah Earl Thomas was was right there. Jason Pierre Paul was right there. Uh, oh boy. Um, and then th- that was a draft where everyone w- was really interested in them taking yeah, Sergio. Yeah, I Kindle remember Sergio Kindle. Out of he Texas, was like a real that. hot commodity yeah. at one point. Yeah, he and then he had a really like unfortunate situation. Like I forget what happened. Did he have a seizure or something? And yeah, he fell he, downstairs. He had a weird medical situation something that like came that. up that was a real bummer. Um, but there wasn't much anybody could unfortunately do about it. Yeah. Yeah, like I would never. I mean, when people because I saw him on some bus list, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's okay. Because I mean, that's that's different. I mean, that's completely out of his control. So, just like I mean, like we we can't really pan Yatil Green because it's not like he went out there and and wanted his leg yeah. to be screwed yeah, off and I back mean, on. Uh, and it's not like know, the medical so technology is where it is today. Where like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's leg you know almost gets chopped off practically, um, and he's back playing football. You know. Um, mm-hmm. speaking of that, I, I hope my, my guy, Mackenzie Milton, you know, gets back on track and he gets a shot. Um, cause he's, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks in college and it, it was horrifying to see what happened to his leg. I felt terrible cause I turned that yeah, game on I, and I it happened I five it seconds later. Yeah, you did. I mean, and the thing is, is I didn't. I've only seen the one angle where it's hard to see what happens, but I remember watching it live. And when the, I think I want to say it was a defensive back who was just like kind of diving in at his knees and just the way he shot in there. And then I saw Mackenzie Milton go down. I was like, eh, I, that typically doesn't, doesn't end well. And then all of a sudden you saw him on the ground. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's, that's what I thought. So that was, that was definitely a bummer because he's an awesome player. And has really lifted that program, and it was kind of cool to to see them win win that yeah, game against yeah, Memphis for awesome. him uh, that the next week. So, and I could talk about all this really forever. I mean, this is a I I love the argument you put out there for defensive prospects. I love Zach Allen. I like a lot of the guys in this first round, though. And I mean, if you're the Dolphins and you decide 2019 is not the year for you in terms of quarterback, your fans are not going to like it. The media is probably going to kill you for it, but the strong case can be made that it might be the right thing to do. We'll see. <clears throat> We're patient, if anything. So all we've got is time to sit there and watch this team continue to lose. So, all right, we'll go ahead and, uh, oh, we're over an hour. I was trying to keep this to a <laughs> half hour to 40 minutes, and I feel like I always fail at that. <clears throat> all right, thanks to everyone for joining, uh, tuning in, joining us tonight. This is I Hate the Fins. This is our ninth episode with the Finsider radio podcast network my name is keith uh this is my co-host zach we will go ahead and i think we're gonna try to do two shows next week and then we've got that the big bowl preview that we obviously need to get out there because some of those games are going to start going here maybe we'll do that later this week and then um we'll be back next week to talk about well more dolphins we'll have a clear idea of what's gonna go down at the end of the season I mean, you'd like to see them finish it on a high note. If they don't, get a decent draft pick, so it's not the worst thing. Just saying. So, all right, for everyone here, this is I Hate the Fins. Thanks for joining us, and we'll go ahead and we'll talk to you maybe later this week. Definitely next week. Have a good night. Hello. You're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. 
It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.